Welcome to Linux in the Shell, episode 14, The Bottom of Top. My name's Dan Washko, I'll be your host today, and I would like to thank Hacker Public Radio for hosting this program. So if you want to contribute, check out Hacker Public Radio and do a show. They're always welcoming ideas and new hosts, so do please contribute. Now before I get going with The Bottom of Top, I just want to say two things. One, this is going to be a very heavy episode. Uh, there's a lot of information here to cover, so you're going to want to supplement with a visit to the website, linuxintheshell.org, and looking up episode 14, because we're going to be covering a lot, a lot of content, because the bottom of top is very configurable, and there's a lot of stuff. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get rolling. Now, last week, or last episode, I should say, we talked about the top of top. Top is broken up into two different sections. The top five lines or so, by default, is a summary area. And that shows you your CPU and memory information, general information. Uh, so check out the episode 13 for the full skinny on that. We're going to be talking about the rest of the top interface, and that's the, the bulk of it, and that's everything underneath that, by default, gray bar with items in it, and that's called the task area. That is essentially a list of all the processes running on your system, and it's going to be ordered in uh, in, in any manner that you, you choose. By default, it is ordered by CPU utilization. And we'll get to that, or CPU percentage, and we'll get to that in a minute. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the columns, default columns at the top that you'll see, a little explanation of those, and then I'll talk about the other columns that you can add with some explanations, and then how you can configure that. So let's jump right in. When you start off top, the default window is going to show two is going to show a column in a gray bar, and that's going to have the field names. And then each process underneath that is a row with the information filled in accordingly to each field name. The first column is going to be called PID. PID is the process ID. It's the unique ID associated with the process information that's detailed on that row. So that's going to be your PID right there. And then next to that is going to be user. And that's the user account the process is running under. It's the owner of the process. That's followed by PR. And that stands for priority. Now, this gets a little complicated. Because what's being reported here is the scheduled priority of the task running. And that value is dynamically generated by the kernel using the nice value. And the range is pretty dynamic, but there is a calculation. And what I found, the calculation is ni, which is nice, plus 20 minus x to ni plus 20 plus x. So the value is a range that an X in this is a bonus or a quote discount point. So the range is dynamic and it can be a negative number or a positive number. And these, these values are adjusted over time and it's dependent on how the process utilizes CPU time. Now if a process is sleeping a lot, 
it'll adjust the x value of that process so it decrements. Now if a process uses a lot of CPU time, it has their points adjusted or that x value so the value increments. So when the scheduler checks to see what process to run, the process with the lowest priority or the lowest number will run first when the scheduler looks through at all the processes. Now you probably see many of these processes running uh, have the same PR value if you're looking at top. Um, and that's, that's kind of to be expected. Most of those you will see with the same PR level uh, between 20 and, and 19 and 20 or whatever are probably sleeping. Now there's another value in there. It's RT and that stands for real time. So be aware of that. It's, it's a value that's determined by the dynamically by the kernel so that if a process is sleeping it's probably waiting for some io possibly or or whatever that it's possible that the kernel will start adjusting the value so the pr value lowers and gets negative so when the scheduler comes through and and checks to see what process it needs to run when it's free it'll choose one with a lower value that's ready to be run so that's a way for the kernel to say hey this needs to get taken care of when it's ready right away or this isn't necessarily um, a high priority when the, when the scheduler is free so that's what PR stands for scheduling priority next to that is the nice value of the task the nice value is a number from negative 20 to 19 where the lower value has the highest priority so something that has a negative 5 has a higher priority than something that has a value of 10. Now, most processes start off with a value of 0. So it's right in the middle. And that's what you'll see a lot of these processes running under, unless the nice value has been changed. But otherwise, you can see on there what the nice value of the process is running at. The next column is vert, virtual memory size. Now this is the total amount of virtual memory used by the process. And it's not necessarily real memory used in a physical memory, but it includes uh, data swapped out to disk or cache, shared libraries, etc. So um, don't, don't confuse this value with the physical RAM value. And that is the next column, which is resident memory size. And resident memory size is how much physical non-swappable memory the process has used. So that's a more accurate representation of how much physical RAM that process is taking up. And you'll see after these values, more than likely, uh, an M if it's megabytes or a G if it's gigabytes, or if it's just, uh, uh, I believe, K if it's kilobytes. And if it's just bytes, you'll see f nothing listed there. But that'll give you an idea of what how much memory that process is running, utilizing. So virtual memory size is the amount of virtual memory used by the process, whereas RES, or resident memory size, is how much physical uh, memory is being utilized, non-swappable memory. Then there's SHR, which is shared memory size. Now that's the amount of memory available to a task that is shared with other processes. Now, for instance, if you had multiple instances of an application like a bash shell running, instead of each one firing up and using, you know, the same resources in, in memory over and over, uh, duplicating those resources, the 
the operating system will allow for those same libraries uh, to be shared. So where it can be shared, it will share those values instead of each individual resource taking up its own uh, bit of memory. It can share that memory between them. And this will show you how much memory of that, how much of that memory is being used by uh, that application. It's uh, the, the libraries that it's using, the shared libraries, and overall load on the system. Um, so that number might be you know, uh, a value between what you're seeing in virtual or shared, or it might be you know significantly lower. So shared memory is how much of the resources is taking that are being shared between other applications. Uh, S column stands for the status, and it is a one of five values. You're going to see a D, which is uninterruptible sleep, and S for sleeping. Now, what's the difference between uninterruptible sleep and sleeping? Well. Uh, a process that is running as sleeping can be interrupted by a signal, but a process that is uninterruptedly sleep cannot be interrupted. Now, what that usually means is a, a process as a status of D or uninterruptible sleep is, is waiting for a resource to become available like a disk. So any signal sent to a process in the uninterruptible sleep state will, will accumulate until that and be handled when the process returns from the sleeping state. So it'll queue up those signals that might get sent to it if that's the case. And instead of interrupting the sleeping process to process those signals, it'll wait till whatever that process is waiting for completes, it runs, and then it'll process those, those signals that were sent to it. So that's the difference between uninterruptible sleep and interruptible sleep, or sleeping in general. Then there's running. Running uh, is means the process is probably running or it's ready to run so that that is it's good to go then there's t and t stands for traced or a stopped process uh, a process that might have been stopped by hitting control z and then finally there's z for zombie which means the process is has issued a that it's finished but it's waiting for the signal from its parent to catch up and clean up after it um last week or last episode, towards the end of the episode, I had noticed that there was a zombie process running. And I had said, hmm, I wonder what that zombie process is. And I couldn't figure it out at the time, but I then figured out what it was uh, during the screen capture session that I was running um, for the video. And that was the GTK Record My Desktop has spun off a process that was a zombie process. And that cleaned itself up when I was done with the screen capture. So zombie processes are not necessarily bad, so to say, or a cause of a problem. It could be the way the program's written. It's just waiting for something to complete uh, to get back to it. But if you see zombie processes sticking around, stacking up, that could be an indication of a problem. But we talked about that last, last episode. Uh, then there's percent CPU, and that's the task's share of the CPU time utilized since the last refresh. So if you're running in a multiprocessor environment, remember that the default IRIX mode is on and the value percentage is a percentage of the combined CPUs. So in a, in a sense, if you have two CPUs and you see a percentage of the CPU utilized since the last refresh is 10%, that's 10% of two CPUs. Um, like 10% of 
So be aware of that. Whereas, if you turn off IRIX mode, which I explained last episode, you end in Solaris mode, and the value is the percentage divided among the total number of CPUs. So in that case, the 20% would be 100% of both CPUs. Uh, it, it, if you switch between the modes, you're not going to suddenly see 20% in IRIX mode drop down to 10% in Solaris mode. Um, it does, it's not that clean cut, but essentially that's the way those two modes operate. And for more information, consult the last episode in the notes therein. And refresh rate, remember, by default is 3 seconds. Uh, but you can adjust that if you want to. Now, percent mem is the amount of physical system memory used by the process displayed as a percentage. And that's going to show you the percentage of physical RAM used by the process. Then you'll see time plus. Time plus displays the total CPU time the task is utilized since it started in hundreds of a second. Um, now, what this means is, if you look at it, it means since this process started, if you're looking at it, it has consumed this amount of the CPU, this amount of CPU time. So you might look at a process that you've had up and running for a bit like, like right now, I'm recording this in Audacity, and it's pretty CPU intensive. Uh, well, not very CPU intensive, but it uses a lot of the CPU. Uh, it's going at 11% uh, CPU utilization since the last ref uh, refresh, and it, it fluctuates between those. And remember, I'm on IRIX mode by default. So this is a uh, dual-core system, so that's between 11 and 13 or 14% of 200% that's being used. Now, if I switch it between IRIX mode, uh, turning off IRIX mode and turning it on, uh, it changes those values, but they don't, they don't differ that drastically. So just, just be aware of that. Anyway, back to what I was saying. Um, now, the total CPU time since I started this application is being used is now about two minutes of CPU time that's being utilized. It, it shows one minute, 55 seconds, and like 0.5 hundredths of a second. So it puts it down there and shows you how much CPU time that, that resource has cons consumed. And the plus means it's allowing uh, hundredths of a second. Now there's, an, uh, there's two options that you can have going on here. The default cumulative option, which the value is off, uh, it does not include any of the processes dead children. So if, if a process spun off a child process and then the child process, of course, finished, that's considered a dead child, very morbid, of course. Um, cumulative value is off, so it doesn't show that those values in there. But if you turn cumulative mode on by pressing capital S, it'll show you the value of any pro dead children that were spun off by that process and included into the time of the CPU was uh, being utilized. Finally, we have the, the last line by default is the command, and that's pretty simple. The command that is the process is running under, the name of the command. Um, you can toggle this to the command line by pressing the lower case C, 
and that'll show you the command that was executed on the command line to, to generate that process. If you see a process that wasn't, you know, in that case is in brackets, that means that the process wasn't started from the command line like a kernel thread, and so that, that value is going to be contained in brackets. Now, you might say, well, I didn't start the process from a command line. I started it from, like, a run line in a window manager or desktop environment or clicked on an icon well essentially it's the same as starting it from the command line in, in many regards because if you pull that up you, you will see okay so that covers the default columns that you can have in the top window the next list that I'm going to talk about are the optional values that you can easily toggle on and off and I'll tell you how to do that when I finish covering it so I want you to remember that, most importantly. Okay, now this is a fairly long list, so strap yourselves in, because here we go. We're already at a good 17 minutes, and uh, this is the lion's share of the show. C group. Okay, this column option lists the control groups that the process belongs to. Now, if a process doesn't belong to a control group, a dash will be displayed. Now, what a control group is, is a feature of the Linux kernel to limit, account, and isolate resource usage of process groups. So a control group is a collection of processes that are bound by the same criteria. That's kind of what the definition is. Uh, there are tools to create control groups like cgcreate, cgexecute, or cgclassify, and they are especially useful in virtualized environments to help ensure that one group or program does not exceed the resources allocated and impair system functionality for other users or processes. Um, it allows you, control groups allow you to define resources a specific group can use and even limit access to a specific resource if need be. Uh, control groups are organized hierarchically where children control groups inherit attributes from the parent. That's in a nutshell what a C group does. Uh, it's a little beyond the scope of, of the intent of this show right now to go into further detail about C-Groups, but if you really want to know more, head on over to the website. I have links uh, in the show notes uh, to give you more information about those. Code is an option, and that displays the code size or the amount of physical memory devoted to the executable code in kilobytes. Uh, this is also known as the text residence set, by some other applications like PS. Uh, now this value shows how much physical memory is actually being used and it excludes what's swapped out. So that's code. Then we have data. The data entry details the amount of physical memory used by the process that is devoted to everything but the code. So that would be like, uh, you know, in a VI, if you're running a Vim session, um, the code that VI runs under or would not be included in this section it would actually be what the text is or swapped out to like the drive or that's in resident memory how much of data is is being utilized that's not code and we have flags and flags is a hexadecimal representation of the tasks current schedule flags and zeros are suppressed that one is a difficult one to define um, I'm not going to try and cover that right now because I spent a lot of time digging through different things. Uh, there's going to be a list of hexadecimal values for all the flags that are 
appropriate to uh, what the task is running under by the colonel. And if you if you go in there, they say it's covered under the. Uh, how do I say it? It's covered under the includes file. If you start reading the includes file, that's uh, trying to remember what the name of the include file is. I tried digging through this one. This one was tough. This one was really tough to go. It's supposedly in the uh, like user include Linux slash schedule dot h. And they say, look in there, the flags are officially documented in there. I did not see all the flags in there, and uh, I looked all over the web and stuff. So I have some resources that may, that, that talk about that. It's a fairly complex topic. Go to the notes if you want more information. But that will show you the hexadecimal uh, representations of the scheduling flags for that task. Then there's GID, which is the group ID the process is running under. Or you can choose group, which is the name of the group that the process is running under instead of just showing you the GID. Then we have something called NDRT, and this is the the count of dirty pages. And that are, th those are pages that have been written to auxiliary storage. So when operating system needs to bring a page into memory, and if there's no physical page free, what the OS will do is attempt to discard pages that are not in use in the physical memory. Uh, now, a dirty page, in this case, is uh, data that's in memory that has been altered but not saved to disk. So the page really can't be deleted, and uh, as it may be, need to be called again, so it must be saved out to, like, a swap file. So if if you're, like, working on a on a process so if you're working on like a text editor for, this is a kind of higher level of looking at it and and you're editing something and the page is resident in memory the values are in memory but you start going on doing other processes need to be and that starts to sit idle there's a chance that if the system needs to swap out uh, to free up some pages, it might look at that and say, well, here's information, a page that has been altered. It's not the same that's on disk, but I can't dump it out of memory because it hasn't been saved. I need to move it over here to swap area until to, to handle this new bit of information that needs to go into a page. Uh, and if it gets called again, I could pull it out of the swap, but it hasn't actually been committed to any auxiliary storage. Then we have NMAG, and that's the number of major page faults that have occurred for a task. Now, when a process attempts to read or write to a virtual page that is not in its address space, that's a page fault. Okay, What makes it a major page fault is when auxiliary storage access is involved in making that page available. It is flagged as a major fault. So if it's trying to access a memory space that's on auxiliary storage and not in main memory, and it's not in its address space, that's a major page fault. Whereas then there's nmin, which is minor page fault, is the same thing. It's trying to access address space that's not in its current address space, but it's not stored on auxiliary storage. It's resident memory. And we have NTH. Now this column shows the number of threads associated with the process. So how many threads a process may have spawned or that are associated with that process. P stands for the last used processor in a multiprocessor system. If you're only running one processor, it's probably just going to show you one. But what it'll do is it'll show you what was the processor that the task was running on at that time of the last refresh. 
Then we have PGRP, the process group ID. Processes are grouped in unique groups for the distribution of signals in terminals and by terminals to arbitrate requests for their input and output. Uh, it's taken from the Wikipedia page, I believe. A, a child process are members of their parent groups. So when a new process is started, the process group ID is usually set to the process ID and becomes the group leader if it's a new process. But children usually inherit the process group ID of the parent. So a lot of times you'll see PRG PID set to zero, um, which is the init process group ID, which is the process ID of the init application when it runs. So init's running under a PR, PGRP of zero. So a lot of processes you might see on top are running with a process group ID of zero, and that's because it's been spawned from from init. Whereas if you're running a new app, you, know, like you pull up a terminal and you fire off an application, it might generate its own process group ID depending on the application or might inherit it from the terminal. PPID, uh, this column represents the parent process idea of the process. Uh, more often than not, you'll see a lot of processes having init parent process ID. So this, this will just show you if a process uh, spawned from the parent or what the parent ID might be. It'll show you that process ID. RUID stands for Real User ID. That's the real user ID the process is running under, um, generally the user who started the process. Now this is different than the effective user ID in that the effective user ID can be different from the real user ID if the process is running under, if the process uh, that it's running under has been altered using a command like SUID to run that process. So it, it, if you were to run a process using the SUID command, um, the effective user ID may be root or somebody else, but the process real user ID is going to show up as you because you were the one who started it. Similar to that is the R user, which is the real user ID. I mean, real username, sorry. Instead of showing you the ID, that will show you the real user name the process was started under. And we have SID. SID is similar to process group ID, but it's the session ID uh, that the uh, process is a member of. The session ID is a collection of process groups that is usually started by the login shell. So that will show you the session ID. Then we have SUID, which I had mentioned before. Now SUID stands for saved user ID. So when a program is running as a privileged user and it needs to execute commands as an unprivileged user, what it does is it copies the privileged user ID to the SUID value. So then this is what's reported by top. So it knows when it needs to return to the elevated privileged user, that's the uh, SUID or the elevated privileged user ID that it needs to run under. Now, like our user or our, our UID and our user, SUID has an S user, and that just displays the name instead of the ID. Oh, I forgot one. I forgot a couple I missed in the list here. SUP GIDs. This is a column contains the IDs of any supplementary groups the process is running under. And of course, there's SUP GRPS. And instead of showing you the IDs, it'll show you the group names separated by column, commas. 
We have swap, and this is defined as the non-resident portion of a task's address space. So it's the amount of address space a task is using that is not resident in memory. So stuff that might be swapped out to a swap file or cached uh, cache file or, or whatever. We have TGID. That's the thread group ID. It's more useful with a multi-threaded process because a single-threaded process will only report the process ID. So um, if it's a multi-threaded process, it'll show you the group ID, thread group ID that that process is currently a part of. And we have time, which is a little different than time plus. I mean, this is the same thing. It's the total uh, CPU time the process has used since it started, but the values in seconds here, not hundreds of a second. And of course, you can toggle on and off cumulative mode with the uh, S, lowercase s. TPGID. TPGID is the process group ID of the foreground process for any connected terminal that started the process. If the process is not connected to a terminal, the value negative 1 is given. So it shows you um, what the process ID of the terminal that it was, uh, pretty much what it was, the process ID of the terminal that it's connected to. TTY is the name of the terminal controlling the process. Uh, generally, this is going to be a device name. UID, the effective user ID of the process, or you can have user, which is the effective user name the process is running under. Uh, we have we have WCHAN right now. What WCHAN is, is this column shows the name or address of the kernel function in which a task is currently sleeping. If the process is not sleeping, then it will display a dash instead of a, a ID or address space right there or name. So that some of that stuff is probably really only helpful to, to uh, programmers for debugging issues on their application. But uh, if you want more information on a lot of that, head on over to the website and look at the notes. There's a lot of stuff to cover there and give you a lot of information. So in a nutshell, I've given you the default values and the values that you can uh, toggle on and off uh, in the display of top. Now you might be asking yourself, Dan, how do I do that? Well, it's very, very simple. You press the lowercase f key. You just press the f key. It's lowercase. And that will switch the top window that you're looking at to a, a new window called the fields management window. And right at the top of the fields management window is an expl explanation of how to navigate this window. So what you're going to get is directions at the top. Then you're going to get a list of all the columns that you can toggle on and off with the more than likely, if you're not changed anything, the defaults first, and then the rest of them. Now, what you'll see are, right off the bat, you will see ones that are bolded or highlighted. Uh, in a default window, they'll be just like bolded white, and then you'll see just normal colored text on these values. So what you can do to navigate this, what the bolded means is that those are the values that are currently displaying in the fields. Those are the fields that are currently displaying. And you can, they'll have an asterisk next to them too. And you can navigate this list by pressing the up and down arrow keys. And you can move up and down. And if you want to toggle a field on or off, 
all you have to do is hit the space key or the D key for display. And if it's if it's bolded and displaying, it will sh it will turn that field off. If it's not bolded, it will turn that field on, and you will see uh, it become bolded and put an asterisk next to it. Also, what it will do when you do that as you're moving up and down, it'll allow you to adjust the position of one of those fields. So that's very simple. So you're using up and down to navigate, D or S or space to toggle a field on and off. Then you're going to use the right and left arrow keys to move one of those columns around. So you select it, the field, by pressing the right arrow key, and then you move it up and down to where you want it to be in the list of displayed values, then hit the left arrow key to set it there. Now, of course, you can move around, uh, you can move the value around the list uh, and between the non, like if, if you had all your fields at the top, the, the fields at the top are bolded, like the first 15 bolded, and then the remainder are unbolded or not they're not active and you take one of the bolded ones and move it down below a non-active one all it's going to do is put that that field to the end it's going to move it to the end it doesn't really impact on what fields are not displayed and how that order is unless you turn one of those fields on uh, before it or after it and then it will display it in those orders so it's very simple up and down navigates this field list S space or D toggles whether the field is displayed right arrow key selects one of the fields for moving or changing its position and up and down again to move it where you want to and either left arrow key or enter commits that change so when you when you're done all you have to do is hit escape or Q and you will see your changes made on the task area of top and you'll see that that new column has been added or an existing column has been removed or some things may have been adjusted in other locations that my friends is the bottom of top in a nutshell a mouthful there's a lot of stuff to cover there uh, might have been a little dry in some respects but there's a whole lot of information that you can garner from top and give you a snapshot of what's going on in your system. Remember, you can always change the refresh rate when you're in the top window by pressing the D key, and it'll change the delay. And uh, I think you do up to tenths of a second, so like 3.5 will give you 3.5 seconds. Default is 3. Uh, pretty handy application. Now, there's still more to talk about in top, so the next episode is going to focus on different views of top, how to configure that stuff, and any other stuff that I haven't mentioned already about top. We're going to wrap it up uh, on the next episode. So I do hope that you will join me again in two weeks for the rest of top. In the meantime, head on over to the website, watch the video, read the show entry, further solidify this information in your mind 
and check out the notes if you want some further information on any of those fields. Again, my name is Dan Washko. You're listening to Linux in the Shell, hosted by Hacker Public Radio. Thank you very much, and have a great day. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.